Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Our Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Christofferson, and I'm joined today by anomalous researcher, investigator, director of the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and the Occult, executive producer of Hellier, and quite frankly, he's not recognized enough for this, author of one of the best paranormal headlines ever, which is intimidating photo from Bigfoot, or from Georgia proves Bigfoot has an ass that won't quit. It's Greg Newkirk. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for giving me credit for that one, my friend. I see that one pop up in meme form all the time, and I always like to point it out and go, see that little pixelated name under there? What's that say? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is one of the best headlines uh, that you could ever run across. And that photo, it's absolutely true that the ass on that Bigfoot, it will not quit. Like that dude gets in his reps every day. <laughs> I think it's probably because that photo is very likely like a, a an action figure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old weak and weird, man. If I only had more time, I would I'd write more ridiculous stories like that. Yeah, you know, and uh, I think that's what's uh, great about what we do over here is we we find we call for the most ridiculous, the most audacious stories that we can find, and and we manage to put together an episode of aliens with big ass ears. Like <laughs> it, it just seemed it just seemed natural to do an episode like this. So uh, we were calling them the Balians, the big ass eared aliens. And, uh, you know, you are you are the perfect person to have on for this, because um, to start with, we we need to go to the OG Balians, which are the Kentucky, uh, the Hopkinsville Goblins. I mean, they are the original OG big ass eared aliens with like these floppy like I, 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 I think that. I would want to scratch behind their ears. I think they would like that. They look like bunny ears. Yeah. I love it. They're iconic. And that story scared the living crap out of me when I was a kid. I remember reading about that in uh, one of the Time Life Mysteries books, which I think for for everybody who, who ran across them, they were formative for a lot of their weirdness. But the story about the Hopkinsville Goblins always terrified me because it was one of the first times that I was like, oh, wait, they can come to us. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Because, you know, before 1955, humanoid cases, especially in like the United States, they were kind of they were obscure. They were rare. You know, the the best example that you had before that was the Flatwoods monster. and a lot of these it seemed like 1955 was the year that like humanoids kind of just like popped up because there's this infamous report that's uh written by isabel davis and and ted blocher about you know this encounter plus there were uh, four or five additional encounters which included the the loveland frogmen which if you look at the sketches of the Loveland Frogmen, they don't look like frogmen. They look like very <laughs> no. small people with like these bulges on them. <laughs> they look like Quasimodos. Yes. They're just yes. these like weird little humpback guys. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, there's also sketches from this one case. I think it's in Georgia where this woman, uh, she sees this short figure that's wearing like a hat and has oh, a cane. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. He looks like a little elf. Yes. Like a little wizard elf. And they've yeah. got I love the I love the the creature reports with the wands, all the little wands. And yep. that was another one where he's got that little wand like pointing it in the road. Yeah. Um so yeah, whatever it was about 1955, that was that was the year that humanoids just kind of showed up and they stayed. So with um with the Kelly Hopkinsville case, um, we're, I'm just going to briefly touch on it because uh, it, it is it is important. And I mean, you're you're kind of connected to it yourself, especially with Hellier and and like the, the emails that you got back in. What what was it like 2012? Yeah, 2012, 2013. Yeah, I uh, it's funny because, you know, if, if people have seen Hellier, um we we connect the the strange goings on in in eastern kentucky to the the hopkinsville case which is on the other side of kentucky uh, completely the other side of kentucky um just because of what it it just it just reminded us of the hopkinsville case but i was telling you earlier <laughs> we those these emails never said anything about big ears. Nobody you called them goblins. It was us that made that connection. So it does always kind of tickle me that that when people do like Hellier related art and things like that, they look exactly like the Kentucky goblins, not like what are probably just little gray aliens, uh, which is probably more accurate. Right. And uh, I mean, that's, that's just an homage to that case and how important it is uh, you know, for UFOs. So um, at 8 p.m. on Sunday, October 21st, 1955, uh, the Sutton family dog started to just bark violently. And an hour before that, uh, Billy Ray Taylor, who was a friend of Lucky Sutton, had gone out to fetch some water from a well when he saw this silvery object, uh, quote, real bright, with an exhaust, all the colors of the rainbow. I love that detail. That's beautiful. <laughs> Just absolutely beautiful. And it flew over the house and disappeared into a, a gully beyond a field. So the dog, an hour later, looked out on the back on the back door. And before long, it actually had just run underneath the house. Lucky and Billy Ray, they looked out the back door and they noticed this kind of glow that was approaching from the fields. And, uh, it was this small figure, um, and to quote uh, Isabel Davis and Ted Blocher's report, quote, he was about three and a half feet tall with an oversized head that was almost perfectly round and arms that extended almost to the ground. The huge hands had talons at the end of the fingers. The eyes were much bigger than human eyes and glowed with a yellowish light. They were directed neither to the front nor to the side, but about midway between the whole creature was seemingly made of silver metal that gave off an eerie light in the darkness, like the light from the radium dial on a watch. The creature's hands were raised now as if someone had told him he was about to be robbed. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of sad though, because it, yeah. makes me, it makes me feel like he was trying to say like, Oh no, we're not here to hurt you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just like, hey, look, our UFO, it shit the bet on us. <laughs> Give Please us help us. <laughs> yes. Like, we need a hand. Just uh, uh, if you've got, like, I don't know, some plutonium from a corner store or something, <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> you know, when we went, uh, I, none of this is in, is in Hellier, but I went out to 
the actual site of the Sutton farm um, with uh, Geraldine Sutton Stith, who's really the only member of the family still talking about this case. Her, her relatives don't want to talk about it at all. Uh, the ones that are still alive uh, who actually experienced it. She took me out there and it's now very close to the site where they have the Kelly Greenman days. Mm-hmm. And she actually walked me out because I said, you know, you know, I'm sitting there in my head trying to be like, well, you know, is this is this any connection to Hellier? And I said, are there any caves around here? And she's like, oh, yeah, come here. And she walks me out to the edge of the property and shows me where there's this sinkhole that goes down into this like big little uh, this big cave system right underneath that site. And it just um, immediately there's this like, oh, well, here we go. Here's the, the mammoth cave system. Uh, right over top of where this UFO was supposed to have have gone down, right where the Sutton family farmhouse is. Uh, and I'm hearing this directly from Geraldine, who has heard the story from her family over and over, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, exactly. Especially when you think of the mammoth cave system that, you know, it, it runs right through Kentucky. It's 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 interesting. You know, it's <laughs> it, it definitely, I think, sustains the legend and, and keeps it going for sure. It helps to have the have the, a festival every year, too. <laughs> oh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, he he was approaching the house pretty slowly and he was kind of moving toward the back door and. Of course, confronted by the frightening unknown, men used to guns reach instinctively for something to shoot with. (laughs) And Lucky and Billy Ray armed themselves, the 20-gauge shotgun for Lucky and the 22 rifle for Billy. Uh, Withdrawing slightly into the house, they awaited the arrival of the creature. And when it had moved to within 20 feet of the back door, both men fired. The creature somersaulted backwards, did a flip, as the men put it, scrambled hastily upright and scurried away into the darkness at the side of the house. Lucky and Billy Ray waited a few minutes, then went into the living room where the women were. Another creature appeared at the side window. The men fired at it through the screen. Again, they apparently hit it, and again, it flipped and disappeared. The family held off these beings until they all piled into their car and sped off to the Hopkinsville police station at about 11 p.m., where they told their story to police. Police accompanied them back to the house. Uh, They didn't find anything other than, you know, some bullet holes and some windows and stuff like that. But uh, well, after the police left, these short beings returned again and they (laughs) held them at bay until, you know, the, the morning came. So... This story, it it makes, you know, national headlines. And it's also, like, you know, wrongly attributed to uh, at least these creatures where the term Little Green Men comes from. Sure. Is is, uh, the way that it was reported in the the papers and such. Um, One detail that, that, that they left out here is the ears. And in the sketches that were created by Bud Bledwith, and, and from the testimony of the eyewitnesses, the ears were large, extending well above the crown of the head. And in, in one sketch, they, they were noted as being, quote unquote, floppy. So, <laughs> you know, kind of like kind of like a dog's in a, a little bit. Yeah, at least that's the way I, I saw it. But, uh, you know, prominent ears are not really a common feature on a lot of alien beings. And like, uh, you know, up until about from like the late 40s to 
about 1987, aliens all looked very different before you get to, you know, the grays of, of common lore and the reptilians and stuff like that. They all look very weird, but they, they weren't depicted uh, often with, with ears. So uh, I, I've called the, the annals of UFO lore to find <laughs> about five other cases uh, involving aliens with with prominent ears and and this one is is my favorite it's my absolute favorite it's from 1967 uh and it involves uh two navajo youths guy tossie and will Begay. they were driving south of town uh near Ruri, idaho and were blinded by a flash of white light their car came to a stop and immediately ahead of them hovering five feet off the ground they saw an object six to eight feet in diameter and three feet thick shaped like two saucers joined together around the rim was a row of alternately flashing orange and green lights. And on top was a transparent bubble dome occupied by two small entities. The dome flipped open and one of the two occupants floated out and to the ground approaching the car by the flashing lights. The youths were able to see that he was no more than three feet tall and with ears set high on his head, his facial skin was scarred and wrinkled, quote, like a cantaloupe. Uh, his eyes were round and showed no pupils, and his mouth had lips so thin as to be barely visible. They saw no nose. He was wearing tight-fitting coveralls and carried a pack to, on his back. To their horror, the little being opened the car door and seated himself behind the wheel. <laughs> they, they they drove over to the right as far as they could as the car uh was driven off the highway and out into a a field of stubble wheat <laughs> i i i can't help but wonder yeah if this is if this is just a way to get out of wrecking dad's car <laughs> That's, that's a great point. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm agnostic about it, but <laughs> that's a pretty great cover. Yeah, it, it is. It definitely is. So uh, as soon as it stopped, a terrified guy, Tossie jumped out the right side of the car and began running to the farmhouse of Willard Hammond, uh, a quarter, about a quarter of a mile away. And as he ran, he found, his shadow preceding him as though a bright light were shining on him from behind. It was presumed that the second occupant gave chase with a light, although this could not be confirmed by Begay, who was otherwise preoccupied being terrified in the car <laughs> with the alien that had drove their vehicle into the field. Can you imagine the reverse of that? Trying to try to rip off their UFO. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> it's just trade, man. It is. So uh, in the car, Begay cowered in the right side of the front seat as the little being attempted to communicate with him, twice saying something incomprehensible in high in a high chirruping voice. Getting no response, the being got out of the car and joined the second being, presumably returned uh, from his brief chase. And the two floated into the object, which took off in a zigzag motion. At the at the Hammond farmhouse. Tossie banged on the door, screaming for help. 
he was admitted by the farmer and his son Bob, and it took a period of time to calm him sufficiently to get his story. By the time they accompanied him back to the field, the object had departed and Begay was found in a state of near shock in the front seat. The farmer had to escort the youths, youths by car. Their fear was so great. I, I like the Humcat just has like great uh, descriptions of this. This is pulled right from the Humcat. <laughs> so good. Brilliant. Uh, there were attended sightings, including one from an anonymous man who two hours later in Rigby, which is uh, just a few miles away from Reary, uh, had his truck stopped by a craft and a small humanoid that tried to enter his vehicle. At one point, the, the creature just kind of started to scratch on the glass, which is hella creepy. No, thank you. Um, and a police investigation found that cattle in the area had been startled by something. Uh, cattle owned by Miss Claude Mann, quote, broke through a steel pipe gate that night. They ran for nearly two miles after being rounded up, they again broke out of their pasture by tearing out of a fence. So uh, along with that, dogs in the area were said to be terrified as well. Uh, and, and while the the ears on these beings are not as prominent, like they're pretty, pretty big. But like this case is is so great it's so, <laughs> it's so fantastic because i just I, the visual image to me of a couple of a couple teens out for a joyride coming across two extraterrestrial teens out for their own joyride jumping around jumping into cars scaring going cow tipping yeah. scaring the, scaring the cattle i think it's fantastic and, it and you know it's funny because so so I look at all of this stuff. I'm not a ufologist. I'm not even a massive UFO buff. I mm. I come from like a, a paranormal investigation background, so I'm always looking at, at the details that stick out to me. And all of these, like all of the notes about these teens were, in, or the, these kids were terribly scared. They were extremely frightened. Um, there's even a detail about the Hopkinsville case that always sticks out to me that I've only ever read in uh an old saucerian bulletin uh mm. and it and it talks about how the police chief said that going to that place they didn't see anything you know aside from they didn't see any glowing blood they didn't smell any of the crazy smells that you see pop up in a lot of these reports but uh the police chief did say that walking around the property was one of the strangest experiences he'd ever had because it felt like he was walking around a haunted house. Mm. And that weird, I mean, you see it in these types of creature reports all the time, almost supernatural fear of these things. There's something that almost shuts down our brains and makes us so terrified that we can even feel that in the space afterwards as if that place is haunted. And that's yeah. always been really interesting to me. Yeah, especially when you look at, uh, in, in a case that we're going to be talking about later, um, the uh, kind of secondary witnesses to a case, instead of being fearful, they felt tired. Like, yes, whatever it was, was just like making them extremely tired. Like, we're doing our thing. You just go back to bed. Yes, know? yes. So interestingly enough, there is a case from... Uh, 1975 in Houston, Texas, 
that is very similar to this one. Uh, it wasn't a, a carjacking case, but like the uh, <laughs> <laughs> the the images, the the um, depiction of the beings inside of the craft. It looks very similar to uh, the Reary Idaho carjackers. Uh, on the evening of May third, nineteen seventy-five, Mister Alois Oldnick. 48 was westbound on Mogford Road south of San Antonio at approximately 9.15 p.m. when his vehicle, a 1959 Chevy pickup, was approached, spotlighted, and nearly buffeted off the road by an unidentified craft carrying two occupants, he said. Mr. Olnick states that he was driving to a nearby store when he noticed a strange amber-colored object rise rapidly upward from a grove of trees about 900 yards into the pasture adjoining the road. This object then approached Olnick's vehicle at a terrific rate of speed, losing altitude as it closed on the pickup. During this rapid approach, the primary light on the front of the vehicle changed from amber to a bright cherry red, becoming most intense during the close encounter. Says Olnick, quote, when the craft got directly over the top of my pickup, my lights went completely out and my engine was dead. And as I was trying to get out of the pickup, I thought it was a, a chopper passing on top of me at first. It happened so quick. Then when they hovered over top of me, I got a good look at it. I knew it was no chopper. I thought to myself, <laughs> that's got to be a UFO. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he's technically correct. Yes, <laughs> absolutely correct. <laughs> As the object hung in place above the pickup, Olnick saw a, a craft globular in shape with two roughly conical protrusions that may have constituted a shelf-like projection encircling the transparent upper section. So uh, essentially, this craft looks like the planet Saturn. It's, mm -hmm. it, it's domed and, you know, it's got this kind of ring around it. Uh, the bottom of the vehicle was highly polished metal that cast a reddish glow, possibly as a result of reflection from the primary red light. Olnick told the, this investigator that the hovering phase of the encounter, during which he clearly observed two occupants, was on the order of only 10 to 20 seconds. During this time, however, the vehicle was uh, tipped at an estimated 37 to 40 degrees slant, and oriented so that one of the occupants was directly in Olnick's line of sight. The transparent upper portion through which they were seen also seemed to be backlit with a diffused reddish light, making details of the occupants' features quite plain. Quote, They appeared to be just as interested in me as I was in them, Olnick says. One of the occupants, the one farthest away from me, appeared to be the pilot, and had his hands on what looked like the controls. He was looking up and away from me. The other occupant looked directly at me, a side view right at my windshield, and appeared to be observing me. I got a good look at both of them. They weren't human beings like we see here. When asked to describe their physical appearance, Monk stated that they couldn't have been big men. Probably not over five feet tall. <laughs> they were bald with long, prominent ears and a long nose. So, like, yeah, the schnoz on these things, like, <laughs> they look like they could be from Sesame Street, to be quite honest. <laughs> I love, I just, I love how bizarre these guys look mm -hmm. all the time. They're always crazy. And, and they, 
to me, I mean, they sound like the typical descriptions of fairies. They sound like Brian Froud drawings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Their eyes did not appear very plainly. They just looked like slits. Uh, Olnick added that their skin was not like our skin. It appeared to me to look sort of like shark skin, sort of a gray color. He also noted that the skin was tight and firm without wrinkles. So apparently they have anti-aging secrets. I dig that. (laughs) Maybe it's Maybelline. Uh, Maybe. Maybe it's a UFO. I don't know. (laughs) The two occupants had a wiry, firm build, but he could see only a portion of the arms and upper torso. Olnick noted a sound similar to the shriek of wind and later noted a, quote, very severe odor like burning copper or electrical wiring as the craft hovered over his truck and persisted long after the craft disappeared quickly upward. Other than a case of eye strain, perhaps from the red light, Olnick suffered from anxiety following the encounter, feeling like they, quote, got his picture or something. (laughs) I like that that's what he's concerned about. They got my picture. I'm in a database. Like, before you know traffic lights had cameras in them this was the fear right here they just sound like my dad <laughs> don't take don't take my picture <laughs> i don't want it on my space <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, I i that's fair i wouldn't want it on my space these days either <laughs> According to Gary Graber's report on the case, he had had several previous sightings, though this is the first official report that he had submitted to anyone, and it was kind of briefly investigated by police, though they didn't really do too much with it. But uh, yeah, that's just I, I always love the absurd details of someone like hoping they didn't take their picture. It's just classic I, I love it i like and i also like the detail like the real weird detail about exactly what it smelled like because that's a mm-hmm. extremely specific like burning copper or mm-hmm. electrical wire that's a really specific smell that i don't even know if i know what that smells like right yeah it's um it, it's kind of one of those smells you have to experience first before you can describe it and it's like i don't think i have ever smelled anything <laughs> like that so yeah absolutely Absolutely. So uh, the next case uh, is another absolute classic from Frederick, Wisconsin, the uh, the Bozak humanoid, which uh, what we're going to describe here and and they never made the connection uh, because this was investigated by uh, Jerome Clark. Uh, Mm. And when you look at the sketch of this being, it looks like depictions of a fawn basically yes so uh our next case it's it's from frederick wisconsin and on the night of december 2nd 1974 william bozak a 69 year old dairy farmer he was driving back from a co-op meeting and uh it was a foggy evening on country road w six miles east of town it was around 10 30 p.m when bozak's headlights bounced off of quote the strangest looking thing i ever saw (laughs) this object was disc shaped though the majority of it was obscured by the fog that had rolled in earlier that night what held his attention for those 10 seconds 
that it the that it was in view was a transparent dome and a startled figure that was looking directly at him. They were illuminated by whatever lights were inside this dome. Um, and this uh, is the description that uh, uh, was provided in Jerome Clark's 1975 article in Flying Saucer Review. Quote, their eyes, which otherwise were normal in appearance, were protruding, betraying surprise or fright. Uh, he looks absolutely terrified in the sketch, which is like, I, I dig uh, a, a humanoid that can be emotive at times. We don't get enough of that. <laughs> right. I, I, well, I, that's the other detail I like about some of these cases is when the entity seems as frightened and surprised as the person that they're seeing, almost like they've accidentally bumped into one another. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, th and this is definitely, uh, uh, I think, a case like that. Um, their bottom half, like that of the UFO which housed them, was hidden by the fog. The being was generally human in shape. Their body, however, was covered everywhere with a tan, f with a dark tan fur, except on the face and chin, which were bare. The hair or fur ran along the top and side of the head. It appeared to be combed or swept back. The head itself was somewhat, quote, rectangular. Bozak wondered if the fur were not part of a suit rather than the creature's skin, but he saw no evidence of seams or buttons, uh, which is like, this is an interesting detail. I'm like, you know, in this moment, is this guy wearing a suit? Like, is this is this like, you know, people saying that, you know, Patty is a dude in a suit? Like, yeah. you know, it, it's it's interesting. But he mulls this question over and, and he's just like, no, this this fur was part of the body. It wasn't a suit. So <laughs> uh, the the oddest feature of all was the ears, which stretched out approximately three inches. They looked like nothing so much as a calf's ears, uh, Bozak thought. The mouth and nose seemed quite flat. He told me, but I couldn't remember real well. It was so foggy and I was pretty shook up. The sight of this figure's ears made Bozak think of the cattle mutilations that had been prevalent in Wisconsin since the previous year. And with that thought in his mind, Bozak sped past the being uh, that was, quote, just as scared as I was. <laughs> so as he passed through uh, this soft whooshing sound, uh, he... he it came into his ears and his headlights dimmed momentarily. And despite being scared at the time, he later remarked that he wishes he could have seen them again and that he wouldn't hesitate to stop and try to talk to this creature. Oh, what a good dude. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, the accompanying sketch, uh, the best way to describe this thing, it, it looks like it, it could be Mr. Tumnus from, uh, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia. Really yes. Cool. Oh my God. You just took it right. I was trying to figure out what this looked like. I'm looking at yeah. it right now and you were, you nailed it. That is exactly it. Yeah. He even looks like he has a little, uh, a little deer nose too in this yes. sketch. Oh yep. man. Yep. It's kind of cute. Yep. Uh, Probably the most relatable humanoid that you'll ever read about in any, you know, UFO case or anything like that. And like, it's a 69 year old farmer on a back road. Like, <laughs> just... yeah, yeah. Also kind of a weird thing for a 69 year old farmer to make up to. Exactly. It's so strange, especially if his head is filled with ideas of cattle mutilations and things like that. I'm sure there's very specific ideas of what aliens look like. Mm -hmm. uh, in his head, and this I imagine was not it. No, 
No, and it and it kind of makes you wonder because like I think one of the most you know, especially when you read these reports and you and you go through them, and I th- there are questions that investigators don't think to ask. And I've always thought about, well, why didn't you ask them what you thought that they thought aliens looked like before they had their encounter? Like, yeah, I think that's Although- an important thing, especially if you if you're of the idea that, like, you know, whether you're in like the Greg Bishop co-creation kind of. Uh, idea that they kind of pull from your mm-hmm. brain space and make themselves up, but uh, it doesn't seem like that's the case here. I, I will say this: this one made me think about my friends and I. Um, I grew up in a little town, uh, northeastern Pennsylvania, Troy, Pennsylvania, and we used to <laughs> go out to Granville. Uh, there was a, a kind of a main drag. And we used to make my friend Nick dress up in a Bigfoot costume. And <laughs> and there was there was a bar that was down this road. And so we would constantly sit there and wait in the ditch. And then when we'd see a car start to come out from the bar, we'd have our friend Nick go run across the road in this Bigfoot <laughs> costume. <laughs> and it makes me go... I, I wonder if there were a couple 14, 15 year old kids out there wearing some ridiculous costume, scaring the living day. Cause I'll tell you what, my friend, Nick, he certainly did not like running across the road. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm sure he made some eye contact with some people and looked very frightened. <laughs> it's great that we have a real world equivalent here of, yeah. of what it was like in a situation like this. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the ultimate, you know, who wouldn't want to be Bigfoot out in the woods right now? Uh, It's, you know, I think it's a great (laughs) hobby that anybody can pick up. (laughs) Well, the reason we even started doing it was because there was a a kid at school whose uh, grandmother used to talk about the the black beast of Granville, Mm -hmm. which, you know, now that I'm much older and more steeped in, in this type of lore, I'm like, oh, that just sounds like the Mothman. It was described a lot like the Mothman. It was kind of a fuzzy creature that had wings. And we didn't have any wings. We just had this ape costume we stole from the theater at school. <laughs> High school. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, we'd go over to my friend Nick's house. And when we got bored of just hanging out, we'd sneak out in the middle of the night and try and scare people coming out of the bar. Uh, you know, that that sounds like a great pastime. Like, I... Um we didn't have we don't have anything like that up here people aren't that fun so um, <laughs> you got to make your own fun when you grow up in a town with one stoplight yeah that's that's true that is absolutely <laughs> true um i didn't get into trouble much because my dad was village justice in my town and i'm like oh I don't no well see yeah. then you got the perfect opportunity to get away with it man yeah i know i know <laughs> sure. well maybe somewhere out there in some in some uh some newsletter there's a tale of somebody who was just leaving the bar in granville and they (laughs) saw a hairy humanoid run across the road (laughs) yeah uh it will forever uh live in the annals of you know (laughs) it looked like a a gangly teenager And when my headlights flashed across it, I saw the whites of his eyes, and I could tell he was scared. <laughs> Just another Bozak out in the road. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> 
So uh, the next case is just as ludicrous. Uh, it's the uh, case of Angelo D'Ambrose. He was a resident of Galeo, uh, Italy. And on a cold, sunny morning on November 24th, 1978, he headed out uh, to gather some firewood. Uh, and it was a little before noon when he uh, placed some chopped wood down and he turned to see a pair of terrifying creatures that were very close to him. And like the sketches of these creatures are like, they're absurd. They are very absurd. But uh, he said that they did not stand. Instead, they hovered about 40 centimeters or over a foot above the ground. Mm-hmm. And one was about one point two zero meters or four feet tall while the other one was just a little bit shorter and they were extremely thin though their arms were very long and their hands and feet were very large and the majority of their bodies were covered by this dark fitting tight overall what really stood out were their heads uh this is the direct quote again from the, the FSR article that I pulled this from, but uh, quote, their heads were large and elongated like pears, smooth and bald with enormous ears that rose straight up and ended in a point. They had great white eyes sunken and without lids. Uh, so, um, you know, if you're, if you're playing along at home, think of like the undertaker when he would roll his head back, you know, his eyes back in his head. That's pretty much, you know, <laughs> what they looked like, their eyes looked like. So yeah, their, their eyes, they were white. They were sunken, uh, without lids set above the nose of pronounced, uh, pronounced dimension, which almost reached down beyond the lower lip. Uh, the latter being pretty fleshy and large mouths displaying at their extremities two long pointed tusks. Immediately, the shorter figure uh, shifted from right to left, uh, and he kept doing this kind of this like back side to side motion that kept going back and forth. Uh, and he could hear the faint sound of wind being displaced every time that this creature did it. So, so strange. Yeah. Uh, he immediately yelled for help, but he knew he was pretty much alone in the woods. So then he asked them uh, who they were and wanted to know their intentions. <laughs> I don't blame you, but I don't think, I don't think you're going to get them. So they only kind of responded by faintly mumbling, uh, which is mm. very creepy. But yeah, D'Ambrose was armed with a bill hook, and uh, it, <laughs> he his attention was kind of just drawn to the taller of the two of them. So that's when the shorter one tried to grab the bill hook from his hand, and they got into this kind of tug of war. And after one failed attempt, it went in again, and this time it gave him a faint electrical shock to try to get it out of his hands, but he still held on pretty tight. So on the third one, he gave him a bigger jolt and that's when D'Ambrose got really pissed off. (laughs) He started to chase these figures through the woods uh, and they pretty much just like floated through the trees. Uh, And I mean, like a bill hook is basically like, it's basically a machete. So, uh, you know, armed with this machete, he's he's in quick pursuit. He kind of loses sight very quickly. Um, and and these figures uh, are what we the UFO press has dubbed the quote unquote rat faced humanoids because <laughs> it's very apt. They their faces do look very kind of rat like. It's <laughs> a great insult. I'm banking that one. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that on Twitter. 
<laughs> rat-faced humanoid. I, you know what? You know what I like about this. I I like the uh, the floating aspect because that again that harkens back to the Hopkinsville case mm-hmm. where these things seem to glide through the air. Like they yep. didn't actually walk. They kind of floated and glide, glided from like tree branches. I think that's fascinating. Yep. And they're not the only ones that will, in these cases, it wasn't long before pursuing these figures that he stumbled upon this disc like object on the forest floor it was supported on four legs and it was uh, very odd colors. It was dark red on the top and blue on the bottom with this kind of like lighter strip in the middle. Uh, he said it looked to be of metallic construction. It was really solid. Scarcely had he caught sight of the craft when uh, one of those beings, their hand, he could see it on top of the craft, closing a dome. Uh, on top of it and then this object lifted up into the air and it shot off in a burst of red flame so um these things are very creepy looking just utterly terrifying but later when investigators uh went back out to this uh the place where the object had been they found patches of burnt grass and it was burnt as if uh it had been uh, hit with like flame uh, that had the uh, aid of oil, basically the way they wow. said it. Uh, and they also found a couple of U-shaped depressions denoting kind of where the legs sat on the ground. Um, and they were quick to, you know, make comparisons to the K- Kelly Hopkinsville goblins uh, in, mm. in these articles. Uh, and there's an interesting analog to this case from brazil that happens around the same time and uh i'm gonna be talking about that one on patreon i actually recorded it and it is one of the it's an abduction case but it's like i read it pretty much verbatim as they wrote it and it is like it's intense so if you if you want to hear that folks (laughs) sign up for patreon and uh, i'm sure i'll freak you out uh, a little bit with this but We've got just a couple more cases here, but the next one is, is from Puerto Rico. And, and just from you know what I've read, uh, th- there was a lot of article space devoted to cases from Puerto Rico in the 90s. And I don't think it gets as due as like this place where like I will never step foot in the El Yunque rainforest. Never, ever, <laughs> ever. Ever because like there are all of these reports of people seeing what basically amount to like gray aliens. Like they generally have green skin, but there are also reports of people going missing in El Yunque and never being seen again. And, and like they have, they definitely have a rich UFO history. But yeah, uh, I will never be stepping foot in the El Yunque rainforest. I, I'm telling you, man. This sounds like a, a Discovery Plus television show in the making. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get you into that rainforest, <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna just miss the aliens right before the end of the show every yeah. single time. There's a big mystery to uncover down there. So the the big question is: if you go down there with the intentions of filming a a TV show or something, is that plot armor? Because I desperately need that plot armor to to not disappear in these ways. <laughs> I mean, having a camera certainly seems to have a protective effect. Yes. <laughs> I mean, listen, we've made 15 episodes of Hellier and we still can't find a goblin. Right. 
right? I mean, you, you you went out you went out into the woods with Jeff Goldblum. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, I think Jeff Goldblum is an ultra terrestrial. That's fair. That's totally if, fair. If anyone if anyone was from another planet, it would be him. So I'm yes. going to count that one as a win. <laughs> <laughs> Got, uh, yeah, uh, only this time the alien is the host of the show and they invited <laughs> you on. That's a huge honor, you know? <laughs> it was easily the most surreal moment of my life. Um, <laughs> I've seen a lot of weird things, done a lot of weird things, but watching Jeff Goldblum come creeping through the forest in his like <laughs> <laughs> Italian leather shoes, impeccably dressed, just like long trench coat, and then like put his fingers to his temple and go, you're Greg Newkirk. <laughs> <laughs> and then like the weirdest thing, he watched Hellier. Wow. The, the guy actually watched Hellier. He knew what it was about. Uh, you know, it's, it was weird. Very surreal. So uh, people could tell me that that never happened and i would uh i would believe it i would believe that i dreamed it if it wasn't on camera <laughs> no it's amazing uh if folks if you've got disney plus go check it out it's, it's fantastic <laughs> jorge martin he's been kind of the guy documenting cases since about the 1970s like he's documented endless amounts of ufo cases he scares the shit out of me but this particular case from march 3rd 1980 in Buen Consejo, which was a suburb of Rio Piedras, and Vivian Cruz Rodriguez, age 16, and Jose uh, Kelso Cruz Rodriguez, age 12, were asleep when at 3.30 a.m. Vivian was awakened by the sound of, quote, some zinc sheets being moved in the patio. Um, they had like uh, a bunch of chickens on this farm. And this case is called the uh, chicken poachers of Puerto Rico. The only thing is, is like these beings never end up poaching any chickens. So, <laughs> uh, you know, just just interesting naming, I guess. But uh, they were awoken by the, sh the sound of these sheets and by uh, the sound of their two chihuahuas just going nuts. So from her window she could see five figures moving about on this patio. Uh, they weren't human, but they were very humanoid. Two of them were about five feet tall, while the um, other three were uh, about two feet shorter. From Jorge Martin's article, quote, the taller two were slim and well-shaped, more like us. They were wearing close-fitting overall garments, diving suit type, of a dark brown hue, leaving only the faces, ears, and hands free. The ears were large and pointed, and the color of the faces, ears, and hands seemed to be gray. The hands were particularly large, with what looked like membranes between the fingers, like the webbing of duck's feet. Hmm. The smaller creatures, only about three feet high, looked more, quote, ordinary as regards to the body shape and had somewhat broader chests. The arms of the taller beings were long and so were the arms of these smaller ones. But in the smaller creatures, the arms were rather pendant and more forward hanging, which made the smaller ones look as though they were kind of hunchbacked a little though. Uh, in fact, they weren't, they looked like they were standing just straight upright. The bodies of the smaller beings were covered with a sort of scaly looking material full of small, dark Brown protuberances described by the eyewitnesses, as 
rather like acne, which <laughs> they're just nipples. Yeah, pretty much <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> And, and over the whole of the body, except for the hands uh, and faces. So like the larger beings, these uh, three smaller ones, they, they had incredibly large pointed ears. And all of these figures seem to be wearing like helmets of some kind, though the like shorter ones had these like large crests on top of them. So it's like it, it always is interesting to me how the tallness of beings seems to denote like leadership yeah authority uh, yeah mm-hmm. every time you even see that in in ghost cases uh, mm-hmm. paranormal paranormal reports and things like that and even even like bigfoot cryptid reports you see the same thing that's the biggest one is always the leader and it typically kind of stands in the front and the other two sort of flank it yeah it's strange yeah. to look at these these creatures they don't look like they would be walking around on dry land they look like they should be in the water because their hands mm-hmm. are basically webbed their feet look like a duck's feet basically mm-hmm. and they didn't walk around they actually just kind of like they hovered and they seemed to jump from place yeah. to place so yeah there's that hovering thing again that floating thing and yep. and in one of the earlier cases you were talking about they even mentioned their hand or their feet were kind of like duck feet mm-hmm. yep huh the the young one, Jose, watched these beings for a shorter period of time before going back to bed, claiming that, uh, quote, uh, he became overcome by a sensation of great tiredness and sleepiness. Hmm. These figures seemed to be interested in the chickens as they kept rattling their cages. And during their, their time there, the animals didn't seem to react, remaining calm throughout the entire encounter. Uh, and eventually... The uh, Chihuahuas quieted down, and they actually just went to and fell asleep on their beds. So, oh my god, yeah, <laughs> oh my god. Well, those chickens are uh, certainly not responding the way I would if these like <laughs> duck things with big ears were sh- floating around shaking on a cage. Oh my god, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd be absolutely terrified. <laughs> Uh, so one of the two taller beings who seemed to be the leader had a silvery metal ball in the palm of his right hand. At one point, he bent down and picked up an old car mirror that was lying on the ground near the foul pens, and he spent a few minutes examining it. I can't think why. Maybe he was attracted to it by uh, its power to reflect. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of people who uh, they they can't pass a mirror without inspecting it. Yes, that's totally fair. That's <laughs> maybe totally that fair. maybe that works in uh, in outer space too. Uh, maybe maybe it does. We're I mean, all vain. Totally, totally. Aliens are vain. They got to check themselves out. Make sure <laughs> everything's good. I mean, they are like. I feel like there should be a in a a fashion awards for alien you know, uh, wears and, and outfits here because like some of these are just, you know, Oh my God, guys... dude, why isn't that an episode? Right. I'm going to have to make it an episode. You have to do an episode that is just the outer space fashion awards. Yep. Yeah. We're doing it. We're giving them out. Eventually this figure, he kind of just like examines it and then puts it back on the ground where he got it from. And one strange thing is that just beside the car mirror, there was a metal sheet that our quote neighbor, Dona Anna, used for blocking up 
a hole in the chicken pen. And next day, when we went out to examine the spot, we found the silhouette of a hand outlined on the metal sheet. The hand hadn't been there before, and the strange fingers shown on the metal sheet are the same as we saw on the beings. And another thing is, we found that metal sheet was so hot that we were obliged to wait till one o'clock in the afternoon before we could examine it well. And when we went to look at the spots where the beings had been standing in the patio, we saw what looked like damp patches made by some strange liquid, which took a long time to evaporate or dry. Wow. Vivian watched the beings examine their property until the headlights of a car seemed to startle them, causing them to flee the area. Later, when investigators asked her parents why they hadn't got up to see what their dogs were barking at, they remarked that they were overcome by drowsiness and fell back asleep. (laughs) Parents of the year. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'll deal with it later. Yeah, yeah, it's no problem. Yeah. Eh, it's just aliens. Don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah, no. no big Why problem. is that so common? Why is that such a common thing that people who experience something really bizarre, uh, UFO cases, ghost cases, cryptid cases, so many of them feel like hypnotized or tired, or I think apathetic is even the strange mm-hmm. thing. Like the the. The ultra terrestrials, the 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 entities, they have an apathy ray, and you just kind of go, yeah, whatever. Like, there's people who are like, oh, you're like, why didn't you take a picture? And you're like, I just didn't didn't think about it. I was just, you know, well, whatever. Look at that weird light in the sky. <laughs> I, I that happened to me. <laughs> so strange, man. It happened to me and my buddy Dennis when we were at work. We saw a UFO. Like, we were literally outside of work watching this thing, and um. We were both standing there and like, we had phones. We didn't take a picture. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah why not? I, That's cool. I, you know, for all the talk about reverse engineering metamaterials, th- the apathy ray is something that I wish the, the government would uh, reverse engineer and then start enacting it at, at con- uh, concerts. So we yeah. don't have to see phones. Yeah. Constantly exactly. <laughs> at this stage. Like, yeah, for real. Like, uh, you know, I, I think it would be leaks better than that uh, technology that they have for like breaking up like riots and stuff like that, where they shoot like, you know, sounds oh, yeah. in your head and stuff. Yeah. Now, just fire the apathy ray at the protesters. Yeah. yeah. Apathy yeah. ray. Bam. I guess our phones are our apathy rays, though. Pretty much. I mean, they, <laughs> um, they, they keep your, you know, if, if some shit's going on. You're you're either filming it or you're uninterested. That's yeah. just the way it is. It's always the weirdest thing that these cases. I, I it, and I, I mean I've encountered it before. I have friends who've gone through it. I mean, like you talking about you going through it. Um, just that weird that weird emotion of just going like, wow, this is really bizarre. And then later you're kicking yourself because you didn't you didn't oh. record it. It's so I'll, strange. I'll tell you. I'll tell you another weird one. So when I was a teenager. Because I've had a lot of weird experiences in my life. When I was a when I was a kid, when I was like five or six, I actually saw and this was on Christmas Eve, uh, a small what looked like a gnome walk into my bedroom. Get out of here. No, I'm not kidding. It was uh it, I, you couldn't make out a lot of details because like the hallway light kind of shrouded it, but you could make out this small, short, like two foot tall gnome like figure and it just walked in my room. So <laughs> I wasn't I was and I was no big scared. deal. 
No, I wasn't scared. <laughs> I wasn't scared as a kid, but uh, my first UFO sighting was when I was a teenager. I had just moved into my sister's old bedroom because she had moved out of the house, and uh, I was getting, going to bed one night, and I look out the window, and I see this orange light in the sky, and it keeps turning on, and then it turns off, and then it, it, it keeps appearing in different spots, turning on, turning off, like in this kind of like side-to-side motion. Uh, after watching it for a minute, I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to bed. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I had the same type of experience with a ghost in my old house. There was a ghost that, uh, we used to, I don't know why we used to call him Carl. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I would feel Carl sit down, uh, at the foot of my bed at Mm -hmm. night sometimes. And I would just like very calmly, quietly go, not right now, man. But <laughs> yeah. just get out of here, dude. And then I'd feel him go away. Yeah. So, um, oh, I can't wait to hear the comments made about that story. <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm saying, now that I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> um, but I, it was the same thing where it was, it's a very bizarre thing to experience, and yet you're just kind of like, yeah, whatever, no big deal. Yeah. But I've been in, I've been in, in like out in the field with Bigfoot investigators and, and heard something humongous screaming and howling and have been terrified out of my mind. Mm-hmm. So it's really weird that there's these, uh, there's these elements sometimes to these cases where you're just like, yeah, whatever, who cares? Yeah. Just a ghost, just a, just a little gnome walking into my room at night. No big deal. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's doing what it's doing, I guess. <laughs> um, Oh, I, I forgot to mention the creepy part. So, um, no, that's uh, not the creepy part <laughs> no um like uh, t- for whatever reason that's not the creepy part to me but uh the whole thing that prompted this was i got up and it was about 10 30 my parents i remember my parents yelling at me to get back in bed because it wasn't time to open christmas presents i'm like i just gotta go to the bathroom so as uh where my bedroom was it was right next to the landing that that uh uh, led down to our front door and it would it went down and to the right and the door was just old it was an old wooden door and it, like it was the only way to lock it would be if you had the skeleton key to lock it and we didn't so um it would come open all the time so i had looking down and i could see that the door is closing uh, because our downstairs neighbor would generally get it for us. Uh, she was, um, you know, outside at the time. I she was never usually up by at like ten thirty. She usually went to bed <laughs> early, so I was like, eh, she's probably closing the door for us. But the thing was, is like it was closing like very slowly. So yeah, I, I see this <laughs> door closing like very slowly. Didn't think anything of it. Went to the bathroom. Went back to bed, and then this little no walks in my bedroom. <laughs> What what if that's what Santa actually looks like? Right, right. <laughs> he's just I mean, a, he's a tiny little man. Well, and I didn't make this connection until years later because my dad is Norwegian. Uh, well, he wasn't Norwegian, but he, you know, the family ancestry comes from Norway. I mean, sure. they have legends of the Nisser, so it's like, oh yeah, yeah. Well, the only the only present you got that stuck with you. Was yeah. this terrifying story <laughs> that everyone's going to for the rest of your life? Every time you tell it, they're going to be like, "Wait, that didn't scare the shit out of you, right?" <laughs> <laughs> the little man walking in your room. Oh yeah. my god! Yep. 
<laughs> no big deal. Apathy Ray. Apathy Ray. It's uh, it's in full force. It's, it's absolutely so. Um... Ap- Apathy Ray sounds like a guy at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant yeah yeah absolutely so um uh interestingly enough to this case there is an additional eyewitness his name was luciano rivera the interesting thing about him is uh he couldn't speak but through an interpreter he relayed that um the night of uh that that family's experience he had left the bar (laughs) with a friend and the two were rather he said they weren't drunk but they were tired so oh yeah that's my excuse too yeah yeah so <laughs> they they parked their car on the side of the road and they decided you know to, to sleep it off quote <laughs> after a while i opened my eyes and saw something about 12 meters from us it was shaped like a flying saucer and was lit up it had three metallic supports on on which it was standing it had a big metallic cupola with a number of windows emitting a deep orange colored light. The cupola was silver colored like aluminum. From the top of the cupola, an antenna projected, shooting beams of white light in various directions. The mm. two frightened men watched as the antenna withdrew back into the craft. Rivera started the car, and that's when they both noticed five strange figures by the side of the road floating close to ground level. They looked exactly like the description that Vivian had for whatever these creatures were. And they entered the craft through a ladder at the bottom of it. And then it rose silently, uh, lifting its support legs up and it flew away rather quick. Wow. Corroborating eyewitness. If you want to trust him or you don't, that's up to you. But uh, you know, seem seem like a trustworthy dude. That's so fascinating. Yeah. Maybe you know they they did have bird like features. Maybe they're just coming back to check on their uh, their cousins. Right. Maybe. They've come. We're here to liberate you. Why don't you care? <laughs> <laughs> and then they don't realize it's their own fault that they don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. so the final case here is is another one from puerto rico and on august the 31st 1990 miguel figueroa was headed into his place of business like near lake cartanga when he noticed a bunch of uh cars right near his place of business and it was odd because there there generally weren't this was at three in the morning so uh, he saw a large group of excited people just like around like I'm getting very much like the um, signs birthday party vibes. Yes. Uh, Yeah. So they're definitely bringing that to the case. And there was one woman who was just screaming and she said that there were some strange children or little men passing by with huge, huge heads and large eyes. Figueroa, he believes that this is just, you know, a bunch of kids playing some pranks on some, you know, onlookers that were driving by. So he's like, yeah, I'll just go and, you know, park and go into my place of business. And that's when he noticed five strange beings that stood at the roadside. They stood between three and four feet tall. And some were just like very distinctly taller than the others, kind of like the previous case. Quote, their clothing or something, I don't know whether it was their clothing or their own skin, because they were all gray. 
was from head to feet, but at the knees and elbows, they had what looked like sections that passed one into the other. So I'm assuming like kind of like, you know, like patches or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, their heads were big and egg shaped compared to their bodies. The heads were large and their eyes were big and shining. He noticed also that their ears were long and pointed, just as the people at his place of work had said. He said that on their feet, they had only three large toes and on their hands, only three large fingers. When the headlights hit them, he noticed that they only had two nostril holes and a thin mouth. So very kind of like the gray features. Mm -hmm. They all turned toward him, and when they did, they were enveloped in a very bright light, which was um, as powerful as an uh, arc welder's torch. It wasn't coming from his own headlights, and he wasn't very sure exactly where it was coming from either. Figueroa then decided to kind of back up a little, you know, give yourself a little space. Don't get so close to those creepy little dudes. I get you. <laughs> uh, they then turned around and continued on as if like nothing had happened. Figueroa observed the figures until they jumped into a ravine right near a bridge. The next hmm. day, Figueroa went to the ravine and saw strange three-toed footprints on the side of the road. Man, this one this one speaks to me. Yeah. I, like, I mean, uh, for obvious reasons, uh, anyone who's seen Hellier. I'm, I'm looking at the uh, illustration of it right now, and... You know, when we go off and we investigate these these cases, I don't think, you know, we always you know we want to see a goblin, mm-hmm. but we never expect to. So when I see something like this, it puts an image in my mind where I'm like, holy shit, what am I going to do if I actually find one? <laughs> what would I actually do? Probably be terrified. Mm-hmm. This this is interesting for a couple of reasons. Number one, the three toes, I think, is fascinating. Uh, also, the fact that they sound, you know, him talking about how when uh, they turn to look at it, they they're enveloped in or enveloped in a, a, a kind of like a bright glow, like an arc welder. It sounds to me like they're they're luminous or reflective, which is mm-hmm. another thing that you see in like a lot of you know so-called goblin cases. But mm-hmm. also there's another thing that tweaks me, which is. They are running around under a bridge. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we always talk about in Helliers, we talk about bridges, borders, and bodies of water. Those yeah. three things, they just seem to be a place where weird stuff happens. And, uh, you know, the, the Loveland Frogman, that mm-hmm. happened at a, right under a bridge. The same kind of deal. Yeah. Um, that, that happened not too far from where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the thing about this is like we're laughing and we're we're joking about this stuff and I can, you know, joke about apathy rays and, and things like that. But at the end of the day, there's so much crossover here that is not the normal like UFO story, which right. is you know, little green men, gray aliens, saucer shaped craft, you know, probing abduction, yada, yada, the pop culture story. The fact that there's so many of these weird little cases, like you even saying you had to scrape the bottom of the barrel to find a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. But even then, there's so much crossover and all of this stuff. They're happening in all these different parts of the world. People are seeing or experiencing something. Yeah. There's there's absolutely something happening. Whatever it is, whether it's psychological, whether it's physical, whether it's like you were talking about co-creation theory, who knows? But somewhere, there are little men <laughs> terrifying people all the time 
that's the moral of the story, folks. There are little men out there, and their job is purely to terrify. And guess what? They all have these common features where they're short as shit. They have these really long, pointy ears. Sometimes their eyes shine, which is very creepy. And um, maybe they're interested in your chickens. So keep those chickens, lock them up tight, and, uh, you know, just let the apathy ray consume you that's that's the best advice I can you, give you 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 have two options you either let the apathy ray consume you let it wash over you and let let you continue to live your life and have a really weird story to tell at the bar or you have it completely change your life and your worldview and you're never quite the same ever again i don't know which one of those is the better choice to be honest yeah exactly um if there's one thing that i've taken away from hellier and, and and one thing that has definitely led me in my research is to follow it wherever it leads you. So um, you can either let that apathy ray consume you or you could just follow it wherever you, wherever it leads you, you know? Well, I mean, Hellier's not over yet. So so don't don't assume that that's the best line of thinking because <laughs> I don't know. Just just because I'm willing to to go and follow weird stories into abandoned train tunnels and and caves and <laughs> things like that, yeah, I don't I don't necessarily I don't have enough data to tell you whether that's a good idea or not yet. Well, you know, I'm a reckless podcaster, so I think I can tell people <laughs> go for it. <laughs> absolutely, go for it. You heard him, folks. Yeah, absolutely. So. uh Dude, thank you so much for coming on and talking about these weird ass talking about the Baileyans. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I'm going to use Balian from now on. I think that's fantastic. And this was super fun. Thank you for uh, for thinking of me and for letting me come on and listen to these stories and make smart Alec comments about them with you. <laughs> Even though they, that's my way of coping with fear is to yeah. laugh. So <laughs> that's all like, look. It's all absurd. You just got to deal with the absurdities however you can. So, you know, you recently, you know, announced a couple projects that you got going on. And uh, so, you know, what do you have going on and how can people follow along on the Internet and stuff with what you're doing? Yeah, uh, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, I'm, I'm on all the major social media networks, uh, but I've got a, a project right now that I'm working on that I'm I'm really excited about i am executive producing a cosmic horror film based on a very specific type of paranormal phenomena uh and it it's called the build out and we're uh we're fundraising for it right now there's lots of cool stuff that you can get for supporting it you can go right now to uh thebuildoutfilm.com and read the uh, first 15 pages of the script and check out some of the storyboards and things like that. And uh, I would highly encourage people to check it out because there's not been a horror movie quite like this. And I think it's going to really scare people and uh, make them think about... Uh, I don't know how much I want to say about what it's actually <laughs> about, but uh, they will think a lot about this this concept and this idea and uh, I think they'll spend a lot of time up at night uh, wondering what kind of things they're bringing into the world. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I'm really, uh, really excited about that. So you can check that out at thebuildoutfilm.com. 
And uh, at the end of the month, uh, we're hosting PhenomenaCon, which is a three-day online conference. You can attend it in your underwear. Uh, <laughs> people are uh, presenting on everything from uh, voodoo to uh, astrology and uh, the sociology of the paranormal and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, Mark Pilkington, uh, who directed and wrote Mirage Men, is going to be there talking about the the current state of ufology, which uh, should be really fun and very spicy. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> if there's anything that uh, you could take away from Mirage Man, Mark gets very spicy with things. <laughs> very spicy. I think it's going to be fun. Uh, and he hasn't done a, an appearance like this in a while, so I'm looking forward to it. And uh, if people are curious about that, um, they can go to phenomenacon.com and find more information. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, as for us, DR Strange Skies podcast, you can find us on most podcasting apps. And if you'd like to help us out, leave ratings and reviews. It's great. Helps us. It's it's it it, it makes me it makes me laugh. It makes me cry. It makes me do a lot of things. <laughs> uh, you know, sharing sharing the show with a friend helps as well. And if you want to support us monetarily, head on over to patreon.com slash your UFO guy, where for three dollars a month, you get bonus episodes and you'll get this episode rather early. Special thanks goes out to Floats for the use of their song UFO for the intro and outro to this program. And special thanks to Megan Lagerberg for our brand new logo, which is, you know, as anybody who is interested in this field and reads Flying Saucer Review with, with a passion, uh, it's it's the dream logo. And uh, to the great Desdemona for our T-shirt designs. Uh, and if you want to buy some merch, definitely check out the link tree in the show notes. And finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or on your patio in Puerto Rico. In gray, we trust. Yeah.